Hi, I'm Lynn Galadner, and you're listening to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a former journalist and the author of nine books, a writing coach, and a marketing expert. In this show, I interview authors and people in publishing about how they find inspiration, how they build their brands and choose their publishing paths, and most of all, how they find meaning in the mundane. If you want to learn more about how to get your writing career off the ground, visit my website, lingaladner.com, and check out the classes, programs, and retreats that I offer. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or on any podcast platform where you find the Make Meaning Podcast. I hope these stories give you the courage and confidence to make your writing dreams come true. Thanks for listening. Brenda Meller is a self-proclaimed ambassador of LinkedIn. She's also a national speaker and chief engagement officer at Meller Marketing, where she helps business professionals enjoy a bigger slice of the LinkedIn pie. Brenda worked in corporate marketing before going out on her own, and in January of 2021, she published her first book, Social Media Pie, How to Enjoy a Bigger Piece of the LinkedIn Pie. In 2022, Brenda produced an audiobook version of the book, and in 2023, she launched her podcast, Enthusiastically Self-Employed. I've known Brenda for a lot of years, dating back to when she was my contact person at a business college that was a client of my marketing company, Your People LLC. We've been friends now for a long time, and in fact, Brenda was a guest early on in the Meek Meaning podcast, and you'll find the link to that episode in the show notes. I love her energy, her passion for her work, and her generosity in helping people grow and evolve and build skills that build their businesses. Today, I'm excited to welcome Brenda Meller back to the Make Meaning Podcast. Well, Brenda Meller, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast again. It's a delight to be back with you and to be chatting with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Lynn. Yes, I'm so happy to see you and glad to get you back on the show. You were one of my early guests and you've done so much in the years since. It's been almost five and a half years since I launched the podcast. So it's great to have you back for a second interview. And, you know, you've worn a lot of hats in your career, Brenda. So I was wondering which one has been your favorite and why? Well, I'm going to talk about from a career perspective, because my my favorite hat would have to be mom, of course. But my from a career perspective, my favorite hat would have to be that of entrepreneur. Uh-huh. I'm very appreciative for the corporate career that I had, and I loved working as corporate and in corporate marketing and everything. But I think being on this side, it's like once you've had a taste of being self-employed and you've had the chance to be successful at it and learn from it and grow from it. I don't know about you, but I could, I don't think I could ever go back to corporate. You know, yeah. It's just such a fulfilling thing being self-employed. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's just now you know you can do it and there are just so many things you can do that it's like the sky's the limit. So, you know, why would you put yourself in a box when you can have multiple boxes, you know? <laughs> so I think that's really exciting. Um, so, you know, on the Make Meaning podcast, which has evolved since we launched it in 2018, I now focus on interviewing authors and people in publishing. So when you were a guest before, um, the mandate was broader. It was really, I was looking for people who find meaning and purpose in work and in life. And I do think that still applies. Um, even as I look to interview authors and people in the publishing industry and about the publishing journeys. So I just wonder today how you define yourself professionally. You know, is it as author? Is it as social media coach? As, um, you know, I don't know. Like, how do you think of yourself first and foremost? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's interesting because I think this is an important point to make from a marketing perspective. It's not 
your audience's job to know what you do. It's your job to remind them about that. And when you're mm-hmm. self-employed, you often go on this journey of of self-discovery and of of market discovery, and you figure out what you enjoy to do and where there are there is a market for and a demand for your your expertise and services. When I first started out my business, Meller Marketing. I was doing social media strategy, which included social media management, focusing on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then I was also doing marketing strategy. So I was helping businesses with marketing plans and event plans and things like that. And then LinkedIn was a, as, as a niche. I always enjoyed LinkedIn, but it was like more, it was a subset, but it wasn't a primary focus. Mm-hmm. And as my business has changed and it, it was like going from 2019 into 2020, I realized that I wanted to go all in on LinkedIn no pun intended there, but um, <laughs> I realized if I really got super focused on the area of expertise, helping people and businesses with LinkedIn, team training, presentations, my book, everything, mm-hmm. that I could be more successful because it was a really a niche offering. And then the pandemic hit and then mm-hmm. you know everything kind of got thrown up in the air and you had to juggle things for a while. Uh-huh. But even, and even now, I'm still continuing to grow and evolve my business. But primarily what I do right now, Lynn, is I help business professionals, solopreneurs, and job seekers to get a bigger slice of the LinkedIn pie. Okay. That occurs through one-on-one training and coaching. It occurs through my online courses. My readers, you know, learn from me yeah. for my book, Social Media Pie. And I've also got a podcast called Enthusiastically Self-Employed right now. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And it all dovetails, you know, like everything you're doing relates and it's it's all sort of, you know, this niche, which I think is really smart to just, you know, and I always tell people that this is true for writing as well. But, you know, when you really narrowly focus, even though it's about your experience or a very specific piece of the pie, then, you know, your audience finds it more relatable. If you're too broad or too vague, it's really hard to relate. And so I think it's great that you found what you loved and that you could help people through that as well. And I'm imagining that that is what led to your idea to write a book. And I wonder if the pandemic played into that too. So tell me a little bit about Social Media Pie, the book, the, you know, the title, how did you come to this? And then we'll talk a little bit about the the writing journey too. Yeah. And the, the book had been on my bucket list for many years, you mm-hmm. know, probably since, uh, probably since around the time that I became self-employed at the end of 2017, going into 2018. Mm-hmm. And the more if you're a speaker, the more that you speak, the more likely you'll get that question of people coming up to you afterwards saying, wow, this is a great talk. Where can I buy your book? Do you have any books? Are you right. books? And I would always say, oh, I, someday I'll write it someday. And it was like a someday type of a thing. And it's actually kind of ironic. So at the end of 2019, I was invited by a friend who met me through LinkedIn. He found me through LinkedIn originally, and he was organizing a conference, an annual writing conference through the Rochester's Rochester Writers Group. And he said, hey, can you come out to our conference and speak to authors about LinkedIn? Yeah. I said, yeah, actually, I'm, I want to become an author myself. So maybe this is a great place for me to get exposed to that. Yeah. But that kind of catapulted the start of the book writing journey. Okay. But in terms of the name of the book, that actually started back in 2018. When I was doing a presentation, it was for the Sterling Heights Chamber. And as you know, Lynn, sometimes you just get bored with your slide deck. And you're like, I want to mix, I want to mix it up. I want to try something different. And uh-huh. I was doing a presentation on social media strategies for businesses and for individuals. And I decided to do a pie theme. Uh-huh. So one slide was like a picture of bananas, and the next slide was banana cream pie. And then it was a okay. picture of apples and apple pie. And at the end of the presentation, 
I, I, I think I had a box and I passed it around the room. Everybody dropped their business card in and I drew a name and I gave away a pie. Like I stopped oh. at Grand Traverse Pie on the way and I bought a pie uh-huh. and I gave away. And I remember the woman who won the pie was like, she won the lottery. Like, oh my gosh, I never won anything. <laughs> and throughout the presentation, it was about social media and it was a pie theme. So I created a hashtag, social media pie. Okay. And I encouraged people throughout to take pictures, to post, to tweet, you know, mm-hmm. wherever they wanted to, to share them. And they did. And they did not just that day, but like for days and weeks afterwards. And there was Mm -hmm. actually somebody in the room who did a blog about it. She called it Social Media Pie, the event. And and I did what any smart marketer would do at the time, Lynn, because I'm like, I'm onto something. I don't know exactly (laughs) what, but Social Media Pie is not something that anybody owns. So I went on to all the major social media properties and and reserved the name Social Media Pie. And then I bought the web domain, socialmediapie.com. If you look it up right now, it redirects to Mellor Marketing. And I really had no intention of doing anything other than just reserving it because nobody else really owned it. Mm -hmm. It was from that day forward, I realized that Pie and and weaving that into my personal brand, Mm -hmm. it helped to differentiate me. And when I sat down to write the book, there's a lot of LinkedIn books out there. How can I do something different? Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to make this a book called Social Media Pie. And I I pulled my audience and we we thought of subtitles together, but the subtitle ended up being How to Enjoy a Bigger Slice of LinkedIn. That's awesome. To tie into it. I absolutely love the title. And it's funny because, you know, I've known you for years and I felt like, oh, you must really like pie. You know, like I thought it was just like your favorite food or something, which actually it's my fa- my husband's favorite dessert, uh, um, yeah. which is funny because I am not a pie person usually and I'm very bad at making them. So, but I, I love this story because I think it shows your marketing savvy, but it's fun and it's memorable and like clearly everybody jumped on board. I mean, I think that's that's super smart. So I love that story. Thank you for that. So tell me a little bit about the process of writing the book. Like how long did it take? What was your writing practice? Just tell me about that. Yeah. So leading up to this, I, I always really enjoyed writing and content writing and doing blogs and things like that. So from time to time, I would do a blog and sometimes the blog was on LinkedIn in their article section. Sometimes it was on my website. So I had like a collection of topics already that I was, I was thinking I could probably draw from. So that conference that I spoke at, the Rochester Writers Conference, conference after mm-hmm. I did my talk, which was on using LinkedIn as an author. Afterwards, as is common with many of us who are speakers, after you're done speaking and the 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 thrill kind of like everybody walks up to you and they talk to you and then you're like, I just need to not talk to anybody. So I went and sat out <laughs> in the lobby. It was at Oakland University. I was sat out in the lobby and I was sitting there kind of checking my phone and just, you know, not being around people. And I noticed a couple of couches away, there's a, a gentleman who was in my room mm-hmm. and we made eye contact. And I said, hey, and I, I said, were, were you in there? And he said, yeah, that was good. And I said, should you walk away with some new insights on LinkedIn? And he said, yeah. And we got into a conversation. Turns out he was there also as a speaker. He was on a panel uh-huh. and he had written a book called How to Write a Book in 30 Days. Ooh. Like I was meant to be at that conference <laughs> and to meet this guy. His name's Don Staley. And uh-huh. his book was for sale at the front table and immediately went over and bought a copy of this book. Mm-hmm. And then I read it in a weekend. I mean, that that has really got me started on the process. And his whole book is based on the concept that anybody can write a book in 30 days, but what yeah. it takes is time and dedication. You need to commit to sitting down and carving out whether it's a half hour or an hour of your day. Mm -hmm. And as we are discussing this, we're in November, which I think they still do the NaNoWriMo. What's the acronym? You probably know it. It's NaNoWriMo and it's National Novel Writing Month. 
Right. Yes. So yep. you can write a novel in, in, in the in month, month of November. Yes. And as luck would have it, it was in the month of November, but it, I didn't intentionally line it up with that. Yeah. But what I did do at the beginning of the process is I announced it. I said, okay, I'm doing this. So, mm-hmm. and I told people on social media, I said, if you see me, ask me how my book writing is coming along. So I started <laughs> with, you know, using his methodology. The first draft is really like, don't edit and censor yourself. So I started with an outline mm-hmm. and then every day I sat down to write a chapter of the book and I didn't even go in order when I, I like, I knew what the outline was going to be, but sometimes mm-hmm. I wrote chapter one and then I went to 17 and then I went back to six and then I went mm-hmm. to 23. Mm-hmm. So I jumped around a little bit, sometimes pulling from blogs and then refreshing them to make them a chapter, sure. other times writing it from scratch. But every single day I wrote, and I think it was, it ended up being like 30 days plus five days, but okay. I got it done. I think that's, that's amazing. It. That is so cool. I absolutely love this. And, you know, how did it feel when you were doing it? Was it like exhilarating or did did the writing also lead you to write more because like you got more comfortable with it, more confident about it? You know, I, I always enjoyed writing. And, you know, even when I was younger, I would journal a lot and I, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed writing. And now I think it's a lot easier especially if you're a good typist, if you can type fast, like mm-hmm. I can type faster than I can write in a mm-hmm. journal. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, sometimes I would be working in my home office, door closed. I would tell the family I'm writing for an hour. Don't interrupt me. Other times I would get to the end of the day and I hadn't written yet. So I had a laptop, you know, I would bring up to bed with me and I had actually uh, the moms out there can appreciate this. The boppy pillows that you have when you're nursing <laughs> your little ones. I would have yes. the boppy on my lap in my my bed with the laptop propped up against me. And I know there's probably like laptop pillows you could use, but it was cool having the boppy, you know, yes. very comforting. Yeah. And I would write for a half hour. Uh, mm-hmm. And every day I would write for a half hour. So I would say in terms of how do I feel, I felt like I was committed to reaching a goal. Some days I'll admit it was, it felt like a chore, like, oh, like, I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember that time to make the donuts commercial, yeah. like time yep. to write the chapter. <laughs> Other days, especially at, I think at the beginning of the end of the process, the beginning you have momentum at the end mm-hmm. of the process, I'm almost done, you know, I'm coming yeah. to the tail end of it. But yeah. there were days where it, it felt like, more of a chore to get it done, but I knew I was working towards something that was a goal that I set for myself. So I always enjoyed the process. And sometimes it would give me the chance to revisit some topics I had talked about in the past about LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. kind of look at what's changed since then. Yeah. And I love that you just did a half hour a day because for our listeners, I think it's really important to emphasize that you don't have to write for five hours. You can just do 30 minutes and like it, it's significant. And in 35 days, you had a book, which is super cool. Yeah. So I think that m- makes it manageable and and like achievable. You know, like somebody can listen to this and say, okay, I can get started. And in a month or so, I can have it done. So, and if you have a bobby pillow, it makes it even easier. So that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Like it's it's like once your kids grow off, you start to like the rocking chair and this and that and all the clothes and there's little there's a couple little things that I hold here and there are a couple books and outfits and stuff. But the Bobby is actually it's a really good time if you're sitting on either the couch or in your bed and you want to have something propped up. It's like a good height and it removes the heat from the laptop (laughs) from you and it's not hard like those desks things that they have. So I don't know. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. That's so cool. So I'm curious, you know, about the content of the book, because I know social media is ever evolving. And I know you're an expert on LinkedIn. And so you're, you're always an early adopter, and you know, you know, what's the latest thing. So I'm wondering if that means you have to update the content of the book periodically as LinkedIn evolves, and you have more, you know, 
tips and techniques and stuff. You know, has that been something that you're like constantly doing to the book? So it's interesting that you mentioned that because even like when I was writing the book, it's LinkedIn is a moving target. LinkedIn never yeah. just stops developing. And mm-hmm. right now, as we sit here and we're talking, one of my friends, he's a LinkedIn coach as well, Kevin D. Turner, and he mm-hmm. is always collecting like when LinkedIn does updates to the platform, to features, either rolling out or retiring new features. Mm-hmm. And as of today, I think LinkedIn has made 150 changes to the platform in the year 2023. Oh my now, gosh. some of them are are significant and others are, you know, things that they've tried, they've, they've rolled out. And then there's usually like five phases of them doing a rollout. So sometimes it makes it to phase one and they say, nope, we're not going to do it. And sometimes it rolls out to phase five, which is everyone. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I was getting ready to publish the book, it was in 2020. And I actually, even though I wrote it in the last month of 2019, the book finally published and was made available to people in December of 2020. So it took a little bit mm-hmm. longer to get to that point. Mm-hmm. But from the time that I wrote it to the time that I published, LinkedIn made some changes and there was a pretty significant overhaul in the privacy and settings area that occurred like I think about two months before I went to print. So mm-hmm. at that point I had to like stop the press, you know, <laughs> stop the process. It wasn't at the press yet, but yeah. I had to go through and make changes. But anywhere that I would identify inside the book, Lynn, like if I was talking about a specific feature and where to click and how to access it, I would start mm-hmm. with this was available at the as of the time of publishing. Now, have I thought about refreshing the book absolutely mm-hmm. and you know we're sitting on on video right now this is audio only but behind me on my bookshelves i've got mm-hmm. some copies of my books over here yes, I and see. i i do fulfill through amazon but i also have a local publisher where i can order print mm-hmm. quantities and i think i've got maybe around 60 or so books left at the time right now mm-hmm. once those are done i'm not ordering anymore and then i'll think about second edition mm-hmm. but i'll be honest with you i think the people that bought the first edition Mm-hmm. What I'm really focusing on is LinkedIn strategies. It's not like an A to Z of everything that's on the platform. It's more mm-hmm. how to get more out of LinkedIn. Sure. So even if this area inside your profile is different, the strategies I've covered in book one haven't really changed. You okay. know, the it's mm-hmm. if it's like if you go to the grocery store for milk, mm-hmm. they still sell milk. It's just it might be in a different aisle than it than it used to be. It might be in a different area of the store. Mm-hmm. So things are still there. The functionality and the features are still there. So I don't think it's I I don't know. Maybe when I get to edition two, I might look at changing mm-hmm. some other things in the book as well. But I what I'm looking at instead is launching different iterations of the book. Whereas the mm-hmm. first one was fo- focused more holistically on LinkedIn strategy for people mm-hmm. already on the platform. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a company pages mm-hmm. feature for the book. And then I'm also considering some different editions as well, like maybe LinkedIn for solopreneurs mm-hmm. or, yeah. or some other iterations of it. So yeah, two to be determined at this point. That's pretty cool. You know, I wrote a book in, I think it was 2012, and it was the first book I self-published. Everything else I had written up until 2023 was published by other publishers. And it was a sort of DIY PR and marketing book because I felt like there were plenty of clients that I could not take on. They could, didn't have the budget, but I wanted to give them something that that would help them. And so it was really strategic and it, it went into specifics on different social media platforms, but also big picture strategy, like you said. And I always feel like Ugh, I, I, it shouldn't even be out there because it's like, well, now it's 11 years later, but it's like, you know, it, I, I think the strategy Yeah, that still applies, but 
the details about the platforms are out of date, you know, and that's that's a hard thing with social media because the technology is always evolving. So I love your approach to it because, you know, it still resonates and then you can give yourself some time and some grace to like get to the next version of the book or, you know, whatever. You can also even consider doing like a little, you know, addendum or appendix that you put out there. So it's like people who have book one could just add this in or something, you right. know, and then it's not the whole thing. It's just part of it, you know. It's interesting um, too because the front of my book has a piece of pie. It's a piece of apple pie. It's like a lattice crumb thing on the front mm -hmm. of it. And I think like if I, when I do a second edition, because I think there will be a second edition, a refresh of it, mm -hmm. it'll be a different slice of pie. And my okay. blueberry next time or cherry nice. or lemon meringue or something. So so if you were to buy the book, you you know, it might actually become a collectible type of thing. You've got all the different types of pie that are in the front cover of it. And yeah. that could help to visually distinguish it as well. I love that. That's so cute. I love it. What has feedback been like from people who've bought the book? And, you know, tell me about any of the reviews you've gotten too. Yeah. And this is, you know, I'm a marketer. So this is like part of my my process <laughs> was when I did the pre-sale, I, you know, this is during the pandemic. So we had like masks and we did get photos with people, you know, wearing the book. But then immediately after I delivered, them, you know, I requested permission, of course, to email them. And then a month after delivery, I would send them a link and I would say, can you give me a review on Amazon? And now people from my website, they automatically are, are opted into that email sequence where they buy it directly from me mm -hmm. to do the review on Amazon. And anytime I do get somebody who reaches out to me that says they're enjoying the book. I ask the question, hey, would you feel comfortable giving me a review on Amazon? And I give them the direct link to help to go there. Uh -huh. And then I also merchandise those reviews. So in terms of what people say, I mean, what they're saying is, you know, they're they're enjoying, they're getting some great strategies, things that are mm -hmm. actionable. It's not like a beginner book. It's really meant to open your eyes to the different possibilities and the ways of using LinkedIn. And mm -hmm. my approach is based on social selling principles. Mm -hmm. So understanding how to develop relationships with people, develop your personal brand, how to use the different features inside the profile to their maximum capability to get you the best type of results. And, and that's what a lot of the feedback was focused on. Mm -hmm. combined with, you know, if you read throughout the book, I do a lot of shout outs of people mm -hmm. at the beginning of every chapter. I have a quote related to pie. Uh, mm -hmm. whether it's a TV show or movie or something. And at the end of ch every chapter, for a while, I was really asking people, when you invite me to connect, tell me your favorite pie in your invitation. Okay. And people would invite me to connect and they would say, my favorite pie is apple or peach or pecan. And they would tell me like why. They wouldn't just tell me the pie. They would tell me why because it was my mm -hmm. grandma that made it or we have this every year at the holidays. So kind of like, I don't know, 20 or so chapters in the book. I should know that number. But at <laughs> the end of every chapter, I have one of those little snippets, you know, uh -huh you know, hi, my name's Lynn and my favorite kind of pie is pecan. Uh -huh. And then I would give a shout out to Lynn and I would put her LinkedIn URL in. So then when I published oh. the book, it was another little bonus way of, of trying to jumpstart potential readers or, you know, people buying the yeah. book. I would say, yeah. hey, I would email everyone. And I said, hey, Lynn, I wanted to let you know that you're the featured shout out and at the end of chapter 22, page 223, uh -huh. when you invited me to connect and you said you liked pecan pie. It's referenced in the book. Wow. Here's the link to purchase it on Amazon or to purchase it on my website if you're interested. And yeah, some people did. And some people said, they just said, oh, that's so cool. Thanks for letting me know. And that was it. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, that was part of my approach is I wanted to make this feel like it was a community focused book. It wasn't just about me and my yeah. love of pie, but it was also about my, my readers and their love of pie as well. 
That's cool. The consummate networker every step of the way. I love it. That's so cool. So tell me a little bit about your publishing journey. I know that you decided to publish this yourself. And I love that you used a local printer for hard copies, but also used Amazon. And so why did you want to publish it yourself? And how has that worked for you? Um, How did you find the local printer even? I think that's fabulous. Yeah. So actually, I did work with a self-publishing coach. And that was the guy that I met at the conference, uh, Don Staley. He he was the author of the book, How to Write a Book in 30 Days. Mm -hmm. And he you know, I shopped around because I was at the point where it felt very intimidating writing a book. I'm like, I don't know what to do and proofreaders and editors and (laughs) numbers, all these. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Uh So I did shop around and wasn't the cheapest, but he wasn't the most expensive. I I think it was a three or four month package working with him, which included a shipment of 200 books as well Uh and working directly with him on the first order with Mm -hmm. the print house. And then he kind of made the exchange so that I work with them directly. Mm -hmm. So working, I guess, I think that would probably be considered a hybrid model. And I, I don't know if that's what I called it at the time. If, if no, it, was it might be. I mean, hybrid is where they do everything for you and you pay them a fee and then and they get it out there. So if you did, if you just said, here you go, and then they did the the layout, the, you know, copyright, the whatever, the, you know, yeah. then yeah. But if it's, they were coaching you to do it yourself, it might just be self-publishing. I think it was more of a self-publishing. Okay. It was self-publishing, but with a coach. Okay. And when we publish the book, it's actually under the name of his business. Now, at the okay. time, I didn't really, I mean, I still own all the licenses and rights sure. and everything to it. And I think because he had a process for setting up the ISBN numbers, it's probably a lot easier than than I think it's going to be. But in my head, I'm yeah. like, he said, I'll do it under mine or we can do it under yours. I go, no, go ahead and do it under yours. Like, I didn't really mm-hmm. care. It wasn't that yeah. important to me. Could I do it on my own? Probably. But yes. I still feel like I've only have one book under my belt. I would probably still work with someone else. I'm not sure if Don's still working with people when I go back for my second book, I'll probably reach out to him again and ask the question. But yeah, I, I think it's it's just there's a lot of things that can feel very intimidating about the process. And yeah, you certainly can do it all on your own, but you don't want to mess things up. And, you know, he helped me even like getting an, an Amazon author page set up and then uploading the files in the correct way. And I had a couple hiccups in the process where Amazon kept kicking it back and saying, no, this is declined. And, hmm. and it was, there was, I, I don't even know what it was at the timeline. I was like, I was just frustrated and I reached out to Don and got him on the phone and we look at it together. He's like, okay, this is what you need to, like he knew because he'd been yeah. through the process with so many other authors before. Sure, sure. So, you know, I think it can be intimidating, but that shouldn't be what's holding somebody back. If you're listening and you're like, I don't want to do this because I don't know what to do. There's mm-hmm. a lot of experts and resources and things out there that you can use to guide yourself through if you want to go through the process, or you can hire someone to be your coach or to work with you to go through the process too. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because when I wrote my first novel, which came out this year, I I did query a little bit to agents and publishers. And I actually even was offered a contract and I turned it down. I didn't think it was a good contract because in my gut, I wanted to do it myself. I wanted creative control and it has become so high quality and so accepted to self-publish these days. And so I did create a hybrid press, Scotia Road Books, so that I could help women over 40 with strong voices if they're publishing. But it really wasn't my desire to necessarily create another business. It was just, you know, I wanted to figure out um, the process and I used myself as a guinea pig. And it is much easier than you think. And once you do it, you can do it again more easily. And, you know, and there's so many, so many resources and other people who are happy to give you advice and and be in your community. And so I think that's that's super cool. It makes writing a book much more accessible for everybody. And so the hardest part really is writing that book, which you yeah. just 
made very easy. And I love that that that's an example and an inspiration for our listeners. So now I know you also did an audiobook version. So tell me about that decision and that process too. Well, that was always in the back of my mind that I would do an audio version of the book and probably the the moment I first started talking about having a book and it was going to be a printed book, uh, I immediately would have people saying, is there going to be an audiobook version of it? Because, you know, people, some people just prefer yeah. audiobooks over printed books or they want the e-reader version of it over mm-hmm. over printed books. So I knew I wanted to do it and I knew I wanted to be, I wanted to be the voice of it. Mm-hmm. I because I don't know about you, Lynn, but I've read books from people that it wasn't the author and it mm-hmm. feels, if, to me, it, it would feel scripted and acted. Yeah. And I think that probably works well with fiction books because you have people that do voiceovers for a living and they can like act things out. Mm-hmm. But I feel like for nonfiction books, and especially this is a business book, and I'm very comfortable being on video and speaking and doing LinkedIn lives and interviews and things like that. So yeah. I, I, for me, it didn't feel natural to think even about outsourcing it. Sure. So it was probably about a year after I did the printed book that I said, because it was one of those, I'll get to it someday. I'll get to it someday. <laughs> and then I had a couple of friends who went through and they converted their books to audiobooks. And I started reaching out. I'm like, who, how do you do this? Because then it's intimidating. Yeah. You think about the audio quality and what kind of microphone. And then when you submit it to Audible and all these other outlets, like, what do you need to know? Like, you don't know what you know. Yeah. What, you need to know until you go through the process. So I asked around again, I found somebody who was an audiobook coach. His mm-hmm. name is Dave Stokes. He's in mm-hmm. Australia. So okay. we did have a little bit of a time zone thing, you know, <laughs> where sometimes it was late at night for me, early in the morning and him or, or vice versa. But what I did working with him is he helped me to understand the audio settings and learning tools like Audacity okay. and learning about how to format your audio file so that they would get accepted. Okay. And then once I had everything done, he did kind of a, a pass on everything, made sure it was clean and ready to go. And then he submitted it and he actually set up an account on, oh gosh, I can't think of the name of the outlet right now. It was something like an author's outlet. And it it was almost similar to a podcast. When you publish a podcast, you push it through once and then it distributes to multiple network. Okay. So he created like an audiobook version of that for me and distributed it to multiple networks for me. Mm-hmm. Now, is the audiobook a huge moneymaker for me? No. <laughs> okay. I don't I don't even know if I've made my money back on working with that coach through the audiobook. Uh-huh. But I've gone through the process and I did it. And it was probably a lot less expensive because I didn't outsource, you know, the voiceover part of it either. Yeah. Yeah. I'm planning to do my own audio for Woman of Valor. And so I just need to identify like a few days consecutively that I'm not doing anything else and I can just rest my voice and and just do the recordings. So, but I do have a virtual assistant who will help with the editing and packaging and all that stuff. So I, I just feel like if you have a podcast voice, if you know how to podcast, then you know how to do an audiobook. And so you know, yes, I agree with you. I think it's a, that's exciting. And I, and it's great to have it in so many formats because some people really only have time for audiobooks. They don't have time to sit down and open the hardcover. So it's great to, to have those options for sure. Do you have plans for not just another version of this book, but another book in time, do you think? or I do. I actually am looking over my shoulder right now because I've got <laughs> A post-it note. I, I'm a post-it note gal, so I've got post-it notes with ideas. And I have right now. I have four books. You know, Social Media Pie Volume Two is is the top of the list. I'm not sure if it'll be the next one. I have a company pages book on my mind. I want to create. I want to write a book called Enthusiastically Self-Employed, which is the same same name as my podcast, to talk mm-hmm. about the journey from corporate employee to being self-employed, mm-hmm. and to to offer advice and inspiration to people who are kind of following in my footsteps, um, or maybe thinking about making that move. 
Yeah. And then eventually I do want to do one that's focused on job seekers as well, mm-hmm. using LinkedIn as a job seeker. Nice. Uh, and I've, I've focused a lot on working with people. I like to call them experience rich. Uh-huh. You know, I have a program called Bootcamp with Brenda, which is designed for people who are age 40, 50, 60 plus looking for mm-hmm. a job using LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a special audience of people out there that would benefit from from Book of Me on that topic. So at least four ideas right now. That's so exciting. I can't wait to read all of them. That sounds great. You know, it's funny when you say 40, 50, 60. I remember when my dad was alive, I mean, maybe in the 70s, might have been late 60s or early 70s. And he'd always been an entrepreneur. And so he never had to make a resume. And he had, you know, sold his company or closed it. And he was consulting for a long time. And then he decided he wanted to find other consulting opportunities. And so I said, okay, let's get you on LinkedIn, which I did. And I said, you know, I want to do your profile for you. So like, do you have a resume? And he's like, I've never had to do that, you know? And so we worked on it together and he was definitely older. And it was like, well, do we want to put the dates he went to college? Because it was sort of like, is that going to be a detriment when people say, oh my gosh, you went to Michigan State how long ago? Like, I can't hire you because I'm ageist or whatever it is, you know? So I, I wonder if, you know, speaking to certain, you know, age demographics, you address that as well, like how to, how to find a job when you're older like that? Is that part of the process? Yeah, I think part of it is it's a mindset thing. I, yeah. and I know, I mean, there is age discrimination that occurs out there. And, you know, part of it is how how do you present yourself? So let's just say, for example, Lynn, if I were to hold a bowl of something out to you and I say, smell this milk, does this smell sour? Uh-huh. And immediately you're even going in like scrunching your nose up, you're, you're anticipating some type <laughs> of a rancid scent. As I said, does this smell sour? And you're like, oh gosh. Versus if I held the same bowl out to you and I said, smell this Greek yogurt. Doesn't this smell amazing? Right. And fermented milk and rotten milk and Greek yogurt are the same thing. It's just the way that <laughs> I, I said it out there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and if we look at, I'm not going to name names of, of national leaders, national leaders throughout the world are in their 70s. Yeah, you know, heads true. of countries and things like in our government and different places mm-hmm. and things like that. So, you know, we we can work until the time that we don't want to work anymore. We don't have to just work until employers say you you no longer have any useful value. Well, that's their perception. Sure. The useful yeah. value. And, um, you know, I've been doing job seeker groups for a while and I've been running throughout the pandemic. We do a Friday job seekers office hours. And there was just one guy, his name's David. He was he was in his 80s. Mm-hmm. And he came into our call week after week and he ended up booking me for a one-on-one coaching session. And I had to ask the obvious question, like we're all thinking it, like, David, do you, do you question, do you need to work? Do you want to work because you have benefits or like, yeah. you know, can you retire? And he's like, you know, I'll be honest with you, Brenda, I'm not ready to retire yet. Uh-huh. You know, I feel like I still got some life left in me to give. And I feel like I still have some expertise to give to a company. David ended up getting a job, Lynn, and he is still working to this day, as far as I know. And, mm. you know, I, I just think about the company that hired him. They're getting somebody who is productive, who wants to be there, who knows he wants to work, who brings such a great wealth of knowledge about how to work with customers and people and team members. You don't have the same issues that you do with younger employees where they've got like one eye on the, when am I getting the next promotion or competing against salary and and all these. And like David is probably, if the company will allow him to do so, he'll probably work there until he is ready to retire. He's never going to leave that company. Yeah. So, you know, I think part of it is when you go back to the, do you put your age on your college degree on your LinkedIn profile? You don't need to. It's not a required Field, right. You know, 
LinkedIn is a marketing tool. It's not a job application. If you if they say fill out this job application and put your dates of when you attended college and when you worked at company, that's a legally binding document. You have to fill it in. Yeah. So you don't need to put it in there. I mean, we can tell. I mean, even you know, if we get on a Zoom call you with we we interview you, we know you're no spring chicken. We know that you've got <laughs> some years against you. Yeah. But I think it's it's a bit in that orientation. And yeah. I've even, you know, had some people that I've interviewed with throughout my career and they've addressed the issue. I know you're looking for somebody with three to five years of experience. Experience, and you're probably wondering, why does someone like me want to apply for this job? Well, let me tell you why. Because yeah. I am experienced, because I know what I want to do. I know that you're only looking for three to five. I know that I have many more than that, but I applied for this job because I think I can bring something to you to offer sure. that to you. Sure. So I think it's part of what we need to do is position ourselves in the right light. And I mean, you can't fight the people that are going to have, that are going to discriminate you upon age anyways. But I think you can merchandise the fact that your age and your experience is a strength, if that makes sense. I love it. No, it's all mindset. Absolutely. So before our conversation comes to a close, I wonder if you might offer any advice to listeners who would like to write a business book. Yeah, great question. I, I think if you're thinking about writing a business book, that know that means that you know that you have a topic out there that is of interest to people. And maybe you're a speaker and you're already speaking about this topic and you're thinking, I've given this talk so many times, there has to be a book in me to write about it. Um, my advice is if you're thinking about writing a book, you know, I use this whole approach of involving my audience. You know, even before I started thinking about writing a book, I would post about it on LinkedIn. I would pull my email list. I would get ideas. I had, you know, I had interviews with people as well. I actually created a book marketing checklist, Lynn, and I'll give it to you in case you want to put it in show notes, but it's like pre, yeah. pre book launch. Here are the things that you can do once the book launches, what you do afterwards as well. But I think making sure that you don't get caught too caught up in everybody's already written a book about this because that was in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I didn't create LinkedIn. And there's, there, I mean, if you look on Amazon, mm-hmm. there's thousands, maybe not thousands, maybe hundreds of books on LinkedIn. So what yeah. makes my book unique and different is me. Mm-hmm. I had to get to that point. Like what is, what's going to make it different is my angle or take on it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people who are thinking about writing a business book, we have to think about that we all are offering some similarities in our approaches in the, mm-hmm. in the industry or topic, but it's almost like looking through a kaleidoscope, Lynn, and your view of it is going to be slightly different than my my view. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think if you can take your unique point of view and blend it into that topic, mm-hmm. making sure there's an audience for the book rather out there, I think mm-hmm. that can really help you out. That's amazing. Well, Brenda Meller, thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning podcast. I'm going to add in the show notes all the links so everybody can find you. They can watch you on LinkedIn Live. They can buy your book. And definitely we want to share that book marketing checklist. So thank you for offering that. But again, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. It's been a pleasure, Lynn. Thank you so much again for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or lynngaladner.com.